Hello, and welcome to Cubs PS Plus, a Northside numbers game, a weekly podcast that dives headfirst into the analysis of hot topics driving Chicago Cubs baseball. I'm your host, Mike Waller, a lifelong Cub fan, full-time baseball stat nerd, and sometime youth baseball coach. Thanks for being here today. I know you have a lot of choices. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, all at Cubs PS Plus, a spin on the baseball metric OPS Plus. If you can, please take a few seconds and drop a rating or a review on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you've done that, thank you. Maybe you could share an episode with a friend. Just a few seconds on your end can help me get better and help other Cub fans find the show. You can also now help support the Cubs PS Plus podcast by going to cubspsplus.patreon.com. There are four support tiers that come with added perks, such as access to a private Discord discussion group, access to bonus episodes, merchandise discounts, and the merch store that will launch in the coming weeks, and the ability to submit priority questions ahead of time for interview guests and more. Your support will help me keep this podcast ad-free. Welcome into episode 32. It's been a really good stretch for the Cubs. Winning series at home against Seattle and Texas before going to LA and winning a series there for the first time in nine seasons. Today, the Cubs go for the sweep against an Oakland A's team going nowhere fast. What's driving the Cubs' success? Surprisingly, it's actually the offense in addition to the good pitching we all expected. In this episode, I talk about what's going right for the Cubs, but I also talk about where the Cubs could get better, first base. I dive into Eric Hosmer's start and what he's given the Cubs so far. This will be a prelude to a larger discussion of power bats and power arms and how those things play into the Cubs' current roster construction when I talk to Greg Huss of Northside Bound and the Cubs on Deck podcast later this week. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. I hope you've been enjoying Cubs baseball as much as I have. It's been a lot of fun watching the Cubs actually play some real good baseball. What is this? Um, we're going to get into what's driving their success here soon. But I mean, the, looking back over the last four series, the Cubs beat Seattle two out of three. They beat the Rangers two out of three. They went to LA and beat the Dodgers two out of three. And now they've won the first two in Oakland. So that, I mean, that's a really good run. The Cubs are 10 and six. They sit in second place in the NL central They're, I mean, it's way too early to think about playoff bids and all that kind of thing, but they're kind of right where they need to be for the wild card race. Cardinals are slumping. It's kind of great. Um, but when you look at this team, you can start to see the pieces coming together. So in the offseason, Jed Hoyer talked about wanting to build a winner. And there was a point in time where I had an entire podcast where the title of the episode was, what's the plan, Jed? All these top free agents were going off the market. Trades were happening and the Cubs weren't really doing much of anything. But in the end, the Cubs did go through. They did add... They addressed almost every need they had. Now, whether they addressed it as, as well as they needed to remains to be seen. But the Cubs improved all over the diamond. We've talked about that several times. But now you're really starting to see it play out. I mean, you're seeing a team that is starting to look like not only does it have a deeper my, deeper lineup full of actual and legitimate Major League bats and to complement a great pitching staff, but they also, you're starting to see a plan for, you know, near-term winning. So the Cubs, we talked about the Nico Horner extension previously. The Cubs now locked up Ian Happ. Um, three years, $61 million. And it's it's great to see. I, I love Ian Happ. I love, if you've listened to me, you constantly hear me talk about the Compound Podcast. I think that's really enjoyable. I think with the work Ian's doing with Connect Roasters in Chicago, um, his 
fiance is from the Chicago area. I mean, it, he just really wants to be in Chicago and he said as much. And I think the contract reflects it. I think when I've talked about the HAP extension in the past, I was thinking he was going to be interested more in pushing for that longer deal, that five, six, seven, eight year deal that some of the guys were getting in free agency last year. I have no doubt based on the start to the season, what he did last year and what he did in the second half in 2021, that Ian Hap would have been probably a top five free agent this off season. So to get him for $20 million a year for only three year commitment from the Cubs perspective is pretty good. But what that really plays into is this larger paradigm. So you, you look across the field and, and this time last year, we didn't know if Hap was going to put together a full year. We didn't know if Frank Schwindel was the real deal. We didn't know what Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson were going to do. And there were just question marks all over the diamond. Well, now when you look at this team, you look at left field, you've got a returning all-star, returning gold glove winner, Ian Happ now locked up for this year plus three. You look at right field, you've got Seiya Suzuki locked up for this year plus three. You look at Dansby Swanson, he's going to be the shortstop for this year plus six. Um, Patrick Wisdom is under team control for several more years. He's off to a, just a ridiculous start this season. Nico Horner signed his extension. I'm pretty sure it starts next year, so I'm, I'm pretty sure they added one more year to the end of his deal. So he is this year plus three. And so when you look at that, you've got the young pitching coming up. You've got young outfielders. But now you see that core. So that core of guys that they're going to build the position players around, it's Hap, Dansby Swanson, Nico Horner, Seiya Suzuki. Now, some other guys, I think Christopher Morell is going to be in that mix. Some combination of the young outfielders, whether it's Pete Crow Armstrong, Owen Casey, Kevin Alcantara, if Brennan Davis can get himself back, Alexander Canario gets healthy. Like There are other guys that are going to supplement. But now you know that the Cubs are paying guys good money for the next, for this season plus three. So the Cubs are going to be highly motivated to produce something in that window. Otherwise, why are you bothering to extend Ian Happ? You could let him go or trade him for prospects, save money, not win. So I think that's a sign that the Cubs are going to be aggressive this next offseason. But how aggressive and what's available is really going to be played out by what happens on the field. And so that's really what I want to talk about today. So when you look at this start, I think the offense has been surprising. The Cubs are, I think, um, I forgot to look right before this podcast, but they've been top five, top six in runs scored across baseball which is really surprising given the offense they had last year. And it doesn't necessarily feel, other than Patrick Wisdom, um, Dansby Swanson had the hot first seven, eight games. It doesn't feel like the guys are super overachieving. So, you know, how are they getting it done? Well, when you look at the Cubs as a team, they're top 10% in expected batting average. They're almost 40 points higher than league average in batting average. They're 24 points higher than league average and on base percentage. They're 32 points higher in slugging, which is actually fairly surprising because this is a team where we keep talking about the relative lack of power. There's not a lot of home runs. And one thing I'm going to get into, and I'll have, I'm going to be talking about power a lot over the next three, four, five episodes. But the next episode after this one, I'm going to have Greg Huss on from Northside Bound and the Cubs on Deck podcast. And he and I are going to talk about power bats and power arms. And we're going to talk about some different ways to define power. I mean, there's there's pure home run, Aaron Judge, obviously massive power, 62 home runs last year. But I think power also is hard contact. It's barrel rate. It's extra base hits. You know, hitting, hitting those gap doubles, that's a form of power. 
So the, the Cubs are getting some things done. When you look at where the Cubs are, you know, in terms of those kinds of statistics, you know, they're maybe a, a tick below, but given the small sample sizes, they're basically league average in barrel rate. Um, they're about 7.8% of all contact as opposed to the league average 8.3. Their hard hit rate is basically right on average, 38.9% to 39.1% for the whole league or the whole MLB. And their average exit velocity is, you know, 88.7 miles per hour off the bat. And the major league average across all the teams is 88.9. So the Cubs are getting it done there to some extent. There's obviously room for improvement, but that's a big tick up from last year. Um, When you look at things like launch angle, you know, on the plus side, we got Patrick Wisdom, who's just absolutely killing it. He homered in four straight games before yesterday when he merely had a double and a couple really loud outs. Um, but he's, you know, in the average launch angle of 21 degrees, Bellinger is 18.3, Happ is 16.7, Saya 13.4. So when you combine some hard hit rates with those launch angles, that's when you get your power. That's when you get those line drives up over the infield, you know, depending on where they're hit, some of those are going to be hit right in the outfielder or hit to a place there where the outfielder can run it down. But the more consistently you have hard contact and the more consistently you can get that ball up over the first line of the defense, the better the chances are that things are going to go your way. On the flip side, and we're, we're going to talk about Eric Hosmer a lot today. He's the only person on the team. He's got a negative 4.7 degree average launch angle. I mean, he's just pounding balls into the ground, which is kind of his MO, but it's, it's kind of set to the extreme this year. But before we dive into Hosmer, let's back up a little bit and, you know, just talk about what's going well. Like, I mean, the obvious guy to look at first is Patrick Wisdom. I mean, he's a guy who was always streaky. He has a history of pounding lefties, just tons of power, tons of pop against lefties, but super high strikeout rates, you know, against right, especially against right-handers, but, you know, striking out in general. But when you look at his numbers, you know, his his weighted on base, his Woba is 454, which is top 2% of the league by baseball savant. You know, he's got a 23.7% barrel rate, which is top 3% in the league. He's top 1% of the league in hard hit percentage at 62.2 per baseball savant. His average exit velocity is 94.5 miles an hour, which is top 6% in the league. I mean, when you're consistently hitting the ball hard, you're consistently hitting it. He's got a launch angle, like I said, of 21 uh, degrees above zero. Um, when you're consistently hitting the ball hard, you're consistently lifting it and driving it, good things are going to happen. And he is, is really kind of killing it. And the, the big thing with Patrick Wisdom has always been his plate discipline. You know, he strikes out a ton. And this year, that's, you know, it's helping a lot. He's, you know, his zone contact rate is 73.8%. His chase rate's down to 26.6%. And when even when he does chase, he's making contact a little over half the time. So some of those are going to be, you know, your two-strike foul balls, that type of thing. Some of it's going to wind up in weak contact. You know, you swing the pitch out of the zone. You don't get it all. You pop it up. You beat it into the ground. Um, but he's he's picking his spots. He's he's swinging about fifty percent of the time. He's holding back a little bit on first pitch, which has always been something for him. But you know, he's got a thirty point five percent whiff rate, um, which is down pretty significantly from where he was last year. Um, so there's a lot to like there. And you look across the other guys. I mean, as far as standouts, you know, Nico Horner is high in expected batting average. Um, you know, he's making a lot of contact. He's fighting through at bats. 
he's stealing a lot. Cody Bellinger is getting himself back into some old form. I mean, he's he's got a uh, OPS right now close to 850. Um, he's doing great. But so when we look at this team right now, you know, where can the team improve? You know, I, I think to my earlier point with the HAP extension, you're going to see HAP in left field virtually every day. You're going to see Cody Bellinger in center field virtually every day. Um, and Bellinger's one to watch because right now he's been on an absolute tear. And if this is a sign of, you know, where he is now versus, um, you know, where he was last year and certainly the year before, if he's even a uh, 50 to 75% of what he's doing right now, he's earning himself a lot of money. And I've, I've already seen some, you know, angst on Twitter about, boy, I hope the Cubs keep Bellinger. Like, let's just enjoy this season, let it play out. The Cubs have a lot of good young prospects in the minors. And if he keeps hitting like this, Bellinger's going to make some money. And so let's worry about that later. But right now, let's just enjoy the ride. Um, he made some fantastic plays in the outfield recently. He made a great running catch last night to, you know, against the A's, um, running to the gap and running the ball down. Um, you've got... Say Suzuki's going to play, assuming he can stay healthy. Say is going to play right field almost every day. Nico's got second base on lockdown. Dansby's going to be the shortstop virtually every day. Third base looks like it's going to be a combination, but you've got Patrick Wisdom who can play first. He can play third. He can play right field. He could spell happen left if he had to. Um, and they've been playing Nick Madrigal a lot at third base. And yeah, Madrigal is kind of doing what Madrigal does. He makes a lot of contact. Not a lot of hard contact. It's mostly singles. Um, he's had some real adventures on the bases. I mean, he had uh, got thrown out at home plate last night. Um, although at least Willie Harris sent him that time. The night before, he ran through a very clear stop sign. And let's be real. If Willie Harris is trying to get you to stop, you probably shouldn't be trying it because you have no chance. But um, so with that, if, if the Cubs look to improve, there's only so many places where only so many places where the Cubs can improve. Um, right now, when you look at AAA, you've got Christopher Morrell, Nelson Velasquez, and Matt Mervis are just crushing the ball at Iowa, all basically screaming for a call-up. So one of the big ones to watch, I think, is you know it's first base. And first base, first base is a position where we came into the season, I think a lot of us were hoping to see Matt Mervis after the season he had last year. But then the Cubs went and signed Eric Hosmer first. And when I talked about Hosmer this offseason, um, based on his career profile, based on what he did last year, um, I had called him, frankly, an upgrade bat over what the Cubs had last year. And again, like I said a lot last week, um, everything right now is still small sample size. You know, we're only, you know, Eric Hosmer has 48 plate appearances. Um, once we start getting to 50, though, 50-plus, we're a little bit less in the small sample size. I mean, there's still guys get off to bad starts and write the ship, and you know, this happens all the time. But, you know, we're, we're starting to deal with an actual real stretch of baseball, and, and both Eric Hosmer and Trey Mancini, who the Cubs signed, have really been struggling. But when I was talking about Hosmer at the time of the Cubs signing, he was not a sexy pick, and I know kind of the Cubs nation was a little bit soured on him, a lot of mixed reviews. He was a guy that you know was not necessarily going to come in and play great defense, but he was going to play adequate defense. He was going to come in, make a lot of contact, and this is a team that you know last year struck out a ton. They did not have a lot of good contact guys, and when you look at the Cubs' chase rate this year, 
you know, right now the Cubs are a little bit better than average in chase rate. They're a little bit better than average, right about average in zone contact. You know, they're being a little bit less aggressive on the first pitch. They're, you know, kind of making the pitchers work. Um, their whiff percentage is basically right on league average. All those things were significantly higher last year than they have been this year. Um, so I thought Hosmer was a guy who would come in, make some contact, kind of stabilize the lineup, mix in with some of the power guys to kind of give that balance. And it just hasn't, just hasn't been good. I mean, I talked earlier about his, you know, negative launch angle. That just means he's beaten balls into the ground. I mean, when you look at his profile, he's always been a ground ball heavy hitter. Um, but this, you know, he's usually, you know, 55, 58% ground balls. This year he's pushing 70% ground ball rate. And when you look at the contact, this is all from Baseball Savant. Um, he's got 6% weak contact. And he's topping like 58% of his the balls he puts in play. It means he's hitting the top half of the baseball, pounding it in the ground, and it's just not going anywhere. When, when Hosmer's right, he makes a lot of hard contact, and he he doesn't really drive the ball in the classic sense, but it's hard line drives. You know, if you're going to hit the ball on the ground and you get it, you know, 95 miles an hour plus, you're talking like quick one hoppers through the infield. Where if it's not hit right after, right near a guy, it's getting through the outfield for a single. Or that those are the kinds of balls where if you can elevate a line drive just a little bit, get it over the, the uh, head of the defense, you know, if you've got, again, if you've got that thing, 95, 98, hundred miles an hour exit velo, that's the kind of ball that, you know, you get it to the right place. It's going to split a gap or it's going to go down the line. Um, and you can do some, do some real damage that way. But when we look at Hosmer, I mean, last year in exit velocity, he was, you know, 39th percentile in baseball. Again, all of these are from baseball savant. This year, he's in the sixth percentile. He was 47th percentile last year in hard hit rate, which means he was about league average in hard hit rate. This year, he's 13th percentile, which is way down at the bottom. In weighted on base average, he was 45th percentile last year. He's second percentile right now. In expected batting average, he was 69th. He had a nice year. I think he had 277 last year, and now he's 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 hitting 227. 227, I think, yeah. And he is, that's seventh percentile on expected batting average. He's first percentile on expected slugging. He was 38th percentile last year. And I think what maybe makes this worse is not only is he not hitting the ball hard, he's not making quality contact, he's chasing a lot. Last year, his chase rate was 18, he was the 18th percentile on chase rate. Right now, he's fourth percentile. I mean, he's chasing. 41% of the time. And and he's making a lot of contact on those chases. So when you're swinging at crappy pitches and you're making a lot of contact on those bad pitches outside, outside the zone, you're just not giving yourself a chance to make hard contact. And then, of course, he's, he's not fast, so that's low either. Where he is doing well is he's above average in strikeout rate. He's 66th percentile. Um, he doesn't swing and miss that often, so he's 72nd percentile there. Um, in terms of maximum exit velocity, he's 76th percentile. So when he swings at good pitches and he makes good choices on the swing, he is getting some good exit velocity. He's just not doing that at all on a consistent basis. And when you look at him, um, you know, in terms of the numbers, what's a little bit crazy is, you know, he's got a slash line right now of 227, 292, 273 for an OPS of 565. That's actually lucky. 
when you break down and baseball savant looks at his um you know expected batting average expected slugging expected woba i mean he's hitting well above the expectedness so he's getting some of those weak ground balls to go up the middle or get just past the defender or he had one the other day that you know blooped over the second baseman's head like he's He's hitting 227 with some good luck. And then when you look at Trey Mancini, you know, he's not a whole lot better. He's really been struggling. I mean, he's, he's bottom 4% of the league and weighted on base average. You know, he's got a slash right now of 196, 220, 250. So he's got an OPS of 470, which is worse than Hosmer's. He's, he's just a mess. I mean, he's not putting quality of bats together. Um, when you look at Mancini in terms of play discipline you know he's he's chasing 32 percent of the time which is not the worst on the team but it's basically he's right there next behind eric hosmer and actually jan gomes is chasing a lot but jan's doing a little bit better job with it um and trey mancini's just you know he's you know bottom seventh percentile and expected slugging bottom sixth percentile and expected woba i mean he's a guy that we the cubs brought in for power and I think he'll come around. I mean, the Cubs signed him to a two-year deal, and, and he's just, I think he's pressing right now and off to a slow start. But when you look at that, and I'm not going to talk a lot about Matt Mervis here because I'll talk about him a lot more with Greg Huss in, in a couple days. But when you look at Trey Mancini and Eric Hosmer together, first base is kind of a mess, and you've got this kid at AAA who basically shocked the world last year and kind of led all of minor league baseball in, in power and moonshots. Um Mash Mervis is pushing his way hard. Now, when the season started, um, I didn't necessarily talk about this on the podcast, but I would have told you that I thought Eric Hosmer, almost no matter what he did, would get at least six weeks to kind of establish himself and see if he was going to be able to, you know, show that he's going to have a good season. Um, I thought that in conjunction with Trey Mancini, with Patrick Wisdom being able to play first base, et cetera, that, you know, Hosmer would get a good six, eight week run. You know, so if he was struggling, maybe he'd be gone by the end of May. Um, right now, Matt Mervis is doing his part and Eric Hosmer is doing his part to both push for an earlier decision. I see a lot of discussion about that online and I, I'm starting to agree with it, especially diving into this num- these numbers. I mean, if Eric Hosmer is hitting this badly and the peripheral metrics actually show that he's even being a little bit lucky to hit this high, what are we doing? I mean, he's, he's a league minimum contract. The Cubs don't have any longstanding ties with him. He's a pretty easy one to walk away from. Now, I I don't think it's going to happen now. I was kind of looking at some speculation earlier with um, with when they the Cubs might make a move, and I still think it's it's a little bit away. But the Cubs are about to after they play Oakland today, they're going to go back home and play four with the Dodgers. I don't see the Cubs calling up Mervis in that stretch. In that series against the Dodgers, they're going to face two really really top level left-handers. They're going to uh, if everything stays on track, they're going to get uh, Urias again in game two, and then they'll get Kershaw in game four. That's probably not the uh, best way to debut the the lefty from the minor leagues. But then we go, the Cubs go play San Diego, and they're going to face three right-handers, including Hugh Darvish on the final game, assuming everything stays stays on schedule. But the probably the one complication with Merva with Mervis as opposed to someone like Christopher Morrell, like if if they decided that they have to do something different at first base, they could put Patrick Wisdom there right now. Um, Matt Mervis is not on the forty man roster, so in order to pull him up, somebody from the Cubs' current forty man roster has to go. 
they're going to have to get designated for assignment, which means they'll have to go through waivers. They may or may not be claimed by somebody else, but you're making a decision now to remove that person from your major league roster and not just the active roster, but the major league roster. So for a guy like Eric Hosmer, you're not going to send him down to the minor leagues. Most likely. I mean, they're, they're going to, if they make the decision to pull the plug on Eric Hosmer, they are going to put him on, put him through waivers. If he gets claimed, they will probably let him go or work out a small trade, you know, with the other team for cash considerations or something. Um, or they're going to release him if he clears waivers. There are some other guys, maybe you might try to sneak, uh, I don't know, if they are still really high on Luis Torrens after the spring he had, maybe he's a guy you can sneak through waivers as a backup catcher, assign him to Iowa and worry about picking him back up later. But I think the candidates to go would be Luis Torrens and Edwin Rios, neither of whom have been playing very much. Now the Cubs did sign Edwin Rios as a free agent to a major league contract. Um, it's a small salary. He's making about a million dollars this year. So it's not some big investment, but it is more of an investment than say somebody like Torrens or the league minimum deal on Eric Hosmer. So when they bring Mervis up and I think it'll happen at some point this season, I would be at this point, I would be surprised if he's not up certainly by the end of May. Um, but I could see the Cubs making a decision as they get towards the end of the month. I could even make them, see them making a decision as early as the end of the Dodger series. But that might be a little premature. I don't think Trey Mancini's going anywhere. Um, but the Cubs have Morel, Velasquez, and Mervis killing it at AAA. The Cubs do expect to see Velasquez, I think, soon. Um, Cody Bellinger is probably within a week, maybe a couple days away from going on paternity leave for his second child. Um, when he goes on paternity leave, my guess is the Cubs are going to go ahead and activate Velasquez and probably let him play center field while Bellinger's out. And then depending on, hopefully everything goes well for Cody and family. But if Cody needs extra time, then the Cubs would have the ability to put him on the reserve list and that would allow them to you know, keep Velasquez on the roster a little bit longer. I think the standard paternity time is, is three days. So there would at least be a few-day period there where you know, Velasquez would get a chance to play. And he pretty much showed out the last time he played. Um, what do you go five for five with a grand slam? And then the Cubs didn't play him the next day and sent him down. But he's he's pushing for playing time hard. He looks like a much better, much more confident hitter than he was last year. And Christopher Morrell, now I've said this before and we've talked about this before. We'll talk about it again probably. And I want to get into this with Greg Huss too. Christopher Morrell is a guy who I, I don't think he's in AAA because they don't like him. I don't think he's in AAA because they don't think he's as good as guys like Torrens and Rios and Hosmer. I think he's very clearly in AAA because they see him as a guy with a kind of talent profile that can last in the big leagues for a long time. But to do that, he's going to have to cut down the strikeout rate. His strikeout rate last year was like 32, 33%. But by the end of the season, his last month, he was striking out 40, 42% of the time. And you are just not going to give yourself a chance to have success in Major League Baseball for any length of time striking out that often. So he's in AAA working on the walk rate, working on the K rate, and continuing to mash baseballs. And so far, the numbers are, I mean, it's a small sample size. I think they've played about 10 games. I think they've been rained out like five days in a row, something like that. Um, but so far, the early returns, he's showing massive power. He's hitting moonshots. He's being, you know, the full Christopher Morrell experience. But he's got a, like an 18% walk rate, and his strikeout rate is down under 30%. 
That's 28%. So, you know, that probably ticks up a little bit when he gets back up to major league pitching. Um, the walk rate probably ticks down because I'm sure at AAA there's some guys who just don't want to throw to him right now. But that 17.9%, 17.8% walk rate is more than double anything Morel's ever done, majors or minors. So he's clearly taking this seriously. And so if the Cubs want to leave him down here, down there a little bit longer, just to make sure that proves out, make sure he's got that confidence and he knows how to go up to the plate, have a major league approach, work account, take a walk if it's there. Um, I'm, I'm okay with it. Um, but at some point, he's going to, if he continues to hit like this, he's going to push his way back up in the bigs. And that's what we all want to see. I mean, last year at this point, we had a roster full of Andrelton Simmons and Jonathan VR and Ildemaro Vargas and Michael Hermosillo and Rafael Ortega and Frank Schwindel and uh, Alfonso Rivas and just all these guys. Like the bottom half of the roster was so bad at the start of last year. And now you look at this year, and I mean, especially now that Saya's back, I mean, you just go through the starting lineup and you've got. Nico Horner, Dansby Swanson, Ian Happ, Seiya Suzuki, Cody Bellinger, Patrick Wisdom, even Jan Gomes is having a solid year. Like that lineup is so much deeper now. And that bench is so much better. Instead of having, you know, Vargas and Andrelton Simmons coming off the bench, you do have a couple guys with pop. Now Torrens and Rios haven't played all that much. But you've got even though they're struggling, you've got proven guys like Eric Hosmer and Trey Mancini, and then you've got uh, Nick Madrigal to come in and make a lot of contact off the bench. So this this team is really looking up, and I'm I'm standing by my you know 83-84 win prediction for the season. I think they they'll have every chance, especially if they get out to this quick start. If this lasts, they'll have a chance to you know add at the deadline, potentially make themselves better. Um, if the basic core of this team is performing like this, and they start to add in guys like Velasquez and Morel, and they can have some success, like. There's a lot of upside here. The the pitching's great. Um, I don't know if Stroman and Steele are going to stay as good as they've been so far, but those are guys who have done this before. This is not the first time they've had success. Um, they've got Drew Smiley going a little bit. Um, Hayden Wozneski had a good outing his last time out, and so did Jamison Tyone. So there's a lot to like here. The bullpen's coming around. This is episode 32, so it's the Michael Fulmer episode. Um, one thing about Fulmer is I know he's – Caught a lot of grief. You know, he's blown two saves. One, a guy ran into it and got a homer. That's going to happen sometimes. And then he lost the game um, against L.A. When the Cubs lost 2-1, to one. he gave up the two runs on the ninth on that weak ground ball single. Um, one thing to keep in mind when you look at Fulmer's stats is his BABIP right now, which is batting average on balls in play, is 500. That means you're pitching. And it's small sample size. So that's going to come down and whatever. But... Um, that means you're pitching into bad luck. You know, he's, he's not giving up a ton of hard contact guys are finding holes and that doesn't sustain over time. Like the more he pitches, his other numbers are good. His strikeout rate is up. He's like 38.6%. Um, so I think there's a lot to like there, whether he's the actual closer or not. I'm not particularly invested in that question. Um, but I think he's definitely going to be a good piece for the back end of the bullpen. So enjoy. Hopefully the Cubs get the sweep against the A's today and then move on to, uh, four at home against LA and then San Diego. If the Cubs can come out of that homestand um, with a plus 500, 500 or better homestand, the Cubs are going to be in a really good spot. And stay tuned for my next episode with Greg Huss. 
Hey, thanks for joining me today. If you liked what you heard, or maybe especially if you didn't, please drop a rating and a review wherever it is you get your podcasts. Or tell a friend about the show. Just a few seconds from you gives me great feedback and helps other Cub fans find the show. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all at CubsPS+. And check out our new Patreon page, at CubsPSPlus.Patreon.com, to help support the show and keep it ad-free. This is Mike Waller, host of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. Every day with Cubs baseball or talking about Cubs baseball is a great day. Go Cubs!